Hello. We want to thank you for joining our Living Messiah family by downloading this podcast. We hope it blesses you and enriches your life. We also want to encourage you, uh, if you can, and if your heart is so moved, to support this ministry by going on our website, livingmessiah.com, and donating to help us to put these podcasts in every nation, every place, so we can bring these messages to change lives, to help people grow in the Word of God. Once again, thank you so much for being part of our family. Shalom. Anyone else in the kitchen? All right. Shabbat shalom, everyone. How's everyone doing today? <laughs> All right. So first, let me open in prayer. Father Yahuwah, we give you great thanks. Father, we thank you for another wonderful Shabbat, a day that you've set apart for us. And Father, we come wanting to, to understand and grow closer to you, Father. We thank you for your words and your direction in our lives and the mercy that you've shown each and every one of us. Father, we thank you. We invite you, and, and I just ask that you'll watch over everyone here, Father, and those that are still on their way. And Father, we thank you for the redemption that we see that's in your son, Yeshua. Amen. All right. Well, um, I guess this is my usual phrase I always say, but um, I'll take this first, ha uh, first half or so up here so we can get some... Um, good talking points, and then, um, then after that, we'll have the mic out there. John will get that, probably, and as usual, just raise your hand. The mic will find, your, find its way to you, and what we ask, uh, uh, or, or what I'm asking for, um, as far as with the good mic etiquette is, you know, make your um, comments or your questions on point, and Try to be as brief as possible. That would be greatly appreciated. Okay? So, I have this picture up here. And after I put it up this morning, I was looking at it. It's like, uh, I, I mean, it's a nice picture because it talks about the, t it shows this is the time period where Messiah is coming to Jerusalem, obviously. But then I, I was looking at this picture of Messiah, and he doesn't look too happy, does he? <laughs> In this particular picture, after I started, like, he just seems like his eyes are going off, oh, one of them, all these people. But anyhow, so we are in the, the four days leading up to the Passover. Like any follower of Elohim, Yahshua is in the city of Jerusalem at the temple at this particular time. He is teaching and healing. And there's a lot of reaction from the, uh, from the people, both positive and negative, okay? So we'll see that. We left off with Psalms 118. Let's review quickly and get to Psalms 8 and maybe see the connection between the two, how they work together. My whole thing is it's about the, right now in some sense what I'm looking at is it's about the reaction of those people too. And again... You have some are being healed and some are kind of criticizing. You have this a positive and negative uh, reaction that's going on with this, this gentleman who's riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. So let me read Psalms 18. The, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was from Yahuwah. It's marvelous in our eyes. This is the day Yahuwah has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. I pray, O Yahuwah, please save 
Hoshiana, yeah, that begging, please say, please deliver and prosper. I pray, Yahuwah, please send prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of Yahuwah. We shall bless you from the house of Yahuwah. Yahuwah is El, or Yahuwah is God, and he has given us light. Bind the festival offering with, with cords to the horns of the altar. You are my El, and I praise you. You are my Elohim, I exalt you. Give thanks to Yahuwah, for he is good, for his kindness is everlasting. So here it is given that picture painted in Psalm 118 um, of the, the stone the builders rejected. It was from Yah, it was marvelous, and that uh, uh, Hosanna, uh, the plea, and how the psalm was prophetic in in what it—it's prophetic in that it, it's come to pass. We see with Yeshua entering Jerusalem, okay, for the and this will be his final time as well. Then this, the, then the last part: Blessed is he who comes in the name of Yahuwah. So we see this picture of Messiah, and also we see how it matches up in Psalms. How Psalms is pushing is. Uh, Psalms almost word for word shows what Messiah is doing right now in Matthew and what we're seeing being recorded. So let's continue on. Where we were was here. Um, next, we, uh, we left last week with homework uh, uh, for you to read Psalms 8. Did, did anyone happen to read Psalms 8 by chance and meditate on it? That's okay. We'll be reading Psalms 8 and maybe... We'll be meditating on it. So, so here, we'll, let me uh, read what we're, what we're looking at in Matthew 21, 14. And, and the blind and the lame ones came to him in the set-apart place, which is the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonders which he did, and the children crying out in the set-apart place, saying, Hoshiana, uh, to the son of David, they were greatly li- displeased. We talked about that last week, but we didn't talk about this second part, uh, 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 second phrase here. And he said to them, do you hear what these say? And Yahshua said to them, yes. Have you ever read out of the mouth of babes and nurslings, you have perfected praise? So out of the mouth of babes, this is found in that Psalms 8 that I was talking about. So we're going to, in some sense, um, be taking Psalms 118 and Psalms 8 and kind of bringing them together or at least try to see the relationship of the two. So, so there is a unique connection with these two Psalms and the, the timing of the feast with Yeshua at this time as well. Um, This, you can be a judge for yourself. If, if, and that's what I, how I'm presenting all this. At the end of the day, you have to see, okay, does that really match up? Is this matching up? And that's for you to judge to see as we get into it. So let's, re, uh, let's read first and keep in mind, again, um, this is being quoted here at a specific time to specific people in a specific season, Okay. Psalms 
8 reads this way. Yahuwah, our master, how excellent is your name in all the earth. You who set the splendor above the heavens, out of the mouths of babes and infants, you have founded strength because of your adversaries to put to an end to the enemy in the avenger. For I see your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have established. What is man that you remember him and the son of man that you would visit him? Yet you have made him a little less than Elohim and have crowned him with esteem or uh, glory and splendor. You made him rule over the works of your hands. You have put all under his feet. All sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, passing through the, uh, the paths of the seas. Yahuwah, our master, how excellent is your name in all the earth. So, so this uh, founded strength. Out of the mouths of babes and infants, you have founded strength. Right off the bat, it does kind of, to me, bring to mind the, the foundation stone, okay, that we just read in Psalms 18, or the cornerstone, either way. That picture plays maybe possibly a part in all this. All these are, all these are connected, I, I, regardless. So... I do my best in exegesis, and what that means is really trying to look in uh, to these subjects whenever I pre present them. Um, I, I really do. Now, not knowing the grammar of Hebrew, uh, or really how to speak Hebrew or any of that, I do have to rely on other people, and some of maybe my common sense, maybe going through things, looking at things, and comparing things. Um, so I'm just going to share my thinking process, how I go about whatever I'm sharing. So in some sense, what I'm doing is how I went about, and I'm just going to share the things I come about. And then at the end, you'll see how I, how I arrived at my, uh, my final thought process on uh, these verses in Messiah coming in. And maybe you can see some faults, or maybe it sparks something else that I haven't seen. It's like, and then you can elaborate later on that as well. So, Yeshua uses this psalm for a reason. I believe that the reason inclu uh, includes the whole of the psalm and not just a small sentence. And what, uh, you know? So, uh, that is how I, I take any quote that I get from the New Testament. Okay? What is before and even after supplies even more context why it's being quoted. That is my, my understanding. And we must understand it then at the, uh, the best we can or how, how it would be understood uh, by them at that time. Okay? And that's kind of difficult. You, you know, um, even to this day, I'm learning more about the cultural things going on um, help play a part of that because we do have to understand it how they understood it. Okay, especially because if we don't, we might interject modern ideas back into the text, and we can't do that. 
okay? We've got to make sure whatever's there comes forward to us. And I've seen this, and I'm not going to give you any examples, but I found some things I've changed my thought processes on it because I learned more about the culture and things and not do, projecting back, oh, a modern idea or a modern the, theological thought, you know, all of a sudden, oh, we can't, we can't take that back there. So this whole thing, uh, out of the ma- babes, out of the mouth of babes, uh, it's interesting. Uh, this is an example, for, for instance. Because we do have a, a modern saying that sounds somewhat the same, don't we? We've heard it. Out of the mouths of babes, right? That's, it's a modern phrase, okay? It, it's, it's, it's a term today regarding the innocence of... Uh, regarding an, um, the innocent but brutal honesty of a child, Okay? A child will say something or something's going on and the child doesn't hold back. And a lot of times it's, <laughs> most of the times it's not too pleasing, but they're brutally honest. And then we say, oh, out of the mouth of babes, right? John. They just don't have any baggage. What's that? They have no baggage of life. They just yeah, look at they, it for what it is. Exactly. So, the, and so, um, so usually this happens after making an observation or being questioned about something. So, so what I'm saying is this idea that we might have today of, oh, out of the mouths of babes, is it meaning the same exact thing here being quoted in the Psalms? So, so I'm just suggesting at this point we can't necessarily take that modern idea of that concept, how we, how we understand it right now, and put it back. Oh, that's what they meant. Because I don't necessarily see that, that that's the case. So, yes, Joe. Wait for the, uh, the mic to get to you, sir. I was just looking at this uh, verse. Um, Out of the mouth of babes and suckling has, H-A-S-T, has found strength. Mm-hmm. So like somebody said... Uh, a, a child will tell it like it is. And because of the purity of their speech, a person can find strength. Yes, no, and no, I, I understand what you're saying. But all I'm, um, I'm thinking, Joe, is like, can we take that concept and that's what it actually means at that time? You, you know, that's very real. I, I'm not uh, negating that. But is that what the Psalms is actually saying? That's what I want to investigate. I'm not saying it's right or wrong at this point, but if we investigate the Psalms a little bit more, um, maybe we'll have... Uh, I, uh, I want to understand it how it was proclaimed and how, it was, how the Psalm, how David wrote it and what he meant by it, okay? And you're not uh, incorrect in, in that sense, Joe. So, um, so the bold words that I have here that you see here um, I, are words I'm going to look at the, that I looked at to help me understand the, this, this psalm uh, maybe more correctly. I have other verses that contain these very words that I have highlighted here, and we'll read them. So we'll read these words 
or how they're used in other places in, uh, in the, the whole of the scriptures. Just a couple, not like I've done in the past, just a couple just to help us uh, uh, with that train of thought. Yet you have made them, other things that are here, yet you have made them uh, slightly less than the angels. Some of your translations might have angels, but the word is Elohim, okay? And some commentary says it's, it's an expression of angels. Now, for me in the studies I have done, I, I like the translation, or I think it's more correct to say uh, less than Elohim, because the word angel one is not there, and we... Everywhere I've seen the word angel in the Tanakh, not in external writings, everywhere I've seen the word angel or messenger being used in the Hebrew, it's either Yahuwah himself or a mere man bringing it. And if I go a little bit further, I've never seen that word messenger or angel applied to the seraphim or the living beings or anything else like that. So I... Have, to me, I have a real strict view for myself when I look at that word. So I don't apply that word. So what I'm meaning here in the scriptures, if it says Elohim, it means Elohim. And however that might uh, be understood, okay? It doesn't say messengers. It doesn't say angels here, okay? So then we have this idea, son of man. Um, and we'll look at that uh, uh, as well as we go through here, because it's interesting, son of man, uh, it brings up the idea of the, uh, the two Adams. So Adam is being compared to here. Humanity is being compared to here in this psalm as well. Because ultimately, humanity has been made in the image of Elohim. We have been made in his image, a little less than him, Right? So, now it's interesting. David wrote this, so I believe we, uh, we need to understand it it's in its simplest, its simplest form, as well as any deep meaning for any kind of foundation of any kind of prophetic understanding or meaning as well. It needs to work with the theology. Uh, it needs to work with theology that's brought forth from that. And what I'm saying by that is, the simplest understanding of the text cannot change with deep uh, theology, okay? Because I know there's four layers, to, or there's those four layers to Scripture, uh, so to speak. Uh, the simplicity, exactly what it says, and then there's other hints to other things, and it gets deeper. And I think, the, uh, if I remember correct, the, the, the deeper understanding is the sowed, because it's really down deep under it. But... At the end of the day, the sowed and the simplistic understanding have to work together. They cannot be separated. All right? So whenever you have a deep spiritual thought, it has to match on the surface as well. It can't be contradicting anywhere else. Oh, it's so deep that the simple text doesn't say that. I, so that's something that we have to keep in mind. And that's what I hope I... I will be doing for you as well. So, real quick, some facts I have found about Psalms 8. Uh, there's a lot more that I'm not going to share with you, and it's like uh, uh, sometimes I wonder some of the things I look into, uh, it seems like uh, you have to know a lot of the Hebrew to understand it, or uh, little 
little issues and stuff like that. And I didn't realize this was such a huge psalm as far as with the other scholars out there. I never knew that until I started looking into it and all these odd debates going back and forth that I read. So, so but some of the general things is, uh, could be understood real easy is um, it's generally seen as a hymn or a psalm of praise. Okay? It's simple. One of the unique features of uh, features, uh, there, uh, there is no invita- uh, invitation to praise like the other psalms. And what I mean by that, like the other psalms has, sing to Yahuwah a new song, all right? That inv- inviting you, come, telling you to do something, right? Or sing to Yahuwah all the earth, shout for joy in Yahuwah, you righteous. Give thanks to Yahuwah. Call upon his name. It differs in, in that way. In the opening, it uses a term for Elohim, uh, a term before Elohim, or one of the uh, explanations, a title for Elohim. It uses uh, the word Adonai. So it's saying, in a sense, Yahuwah, our master, or our Adonai. But it's spelled slightly different here. And it's not found spelled anywhere else in the Tanakh, except in, um, oh, what did I write down here? In, except for in Nehemiah. So, obviously, there's some kind of significance why it was written that way. I don't know. I didn't have enough time. But when I find those things, it's like, oh, I put it in the back of my head. Okay? Because I've seen um, in the Tanakh, you can spell things, like in our language, you can spell them different ways. But usually, they're spelled uh, one way, uh, like I think Joseph is a name. Uh, sometimes he has a vav in it, sometimes he don't. And it's interesting to compare where he has it and where he doesn't. Is there something else trying to be coming forth? So obviously I believe there is something more here. And maybe we'll happen upon it just by what we're, uh, how we're looking at it here. So it differs in that way. And uh, with that Adonai being master spelling, it's found nowhere else, like I said, in the Psalms or occurs this way one other time in the Hebrew Scriptures, and that's in Nehemiah 10 and 8. You'll find where that's at. So this Psalm is the only Psalm of praise which from the beginning to end addresses Elohim directly. It's more personal. I did not know that. But all of a sudden, like I said, you saw the other ones. Come, worship Yahuwah, give him praise. Here it's like, Master Yahweh, you are excellent. It's not, oh, let's all come and tell him that he's excellent. You see what I'm saying? There's a different personal nature going on here, which I'm like, oh, wow, that is interesting, especially with some of the other things contained here, okay? The psalm also begins with, uh, with his great name and ends with his great name. The, uh, his, so that is his character and his fame you know, puts everything that's being spoken here in brackets. It means his name begins it and his name ends it. That's his character, his fame, the existence of who he is frames his small little uh, psalms. And that is going to be of interest as we get through and we see more what who he's talking about. Because I believe he's talking about two different things at the same time. And our Father has that ability to do that in Scripture. 
So let's look at the other places with some of these highlighted words I was talking about. And we're, um, that one, th- oh, real quick before we go to there, this is, this is kind of interesting, okay? Babes and infants, the foundation of strength or praise. Because some of your translations, okay, it's written one way, but in the Septuagint, okay, it's a little bit different, okay? So let me continue here. Maybe this makes sense. So is it is the foundation of strength or the foundation of praise? And I have various translations um, of this verse from various Bibles. Um, the, the Masoretic text uh, means is strength. So the Masoretic, the way it comes across or would be translated in English or comes across, it's using a foundation of strength, where the Septuagint, like I said, it has song of praise. So it depends on your translation. It will have one or the other. So for the sake of argument, because I didn't have a lot of time, I'm just going to take both of them, the foundation of praise, <laughs> all together. Okay, because either one way or the other, I believe from my looking at it, the strength comes in the praise, and it is a foundation, and it's you know, and so let's look at it. Maybe that will make, make more sense. So out of the mouths of babes and nurslings, you have perfected praise. Now, this is, this is in Matthew. This is how, and it's in the Aramaic of Matthew as well. It focuses on the praise, okay? And that's what we just read in the translation. But if you saw, we go back to the footnote in Psalms, um, Psalms 8. It's not using the word praise. It's using the word strength. So, now that doesn't mean that there's a problem. It just maybe, I think it's, what I read this psalm, the way it's construction, uh, constructed is kind of difficult and can be read several different ways, okay? But that, I don't know. I'm just going off of the research I found from others who do read and have made comments on this. So let me read some of these trends. Out of the mouth of babes and suckling, you have founded strength. Um, and you have founded strength. Let me see the other one. You, have do- you ordained strength, which that word, we'll look at that word. Ordained strength. And if you go down there, one of them says, With the lips of children and infants, you have founded a fortress because of your foes. To silence the enemy and avengers. So you can see how, uh, how depending on the translation, there can be slight differences. Uh, founded strength, uh, perfect, and uh, the very bottom one. And why you see Psalms 3 or Psalms 2, um, it depends on if they incorporate the introduction to the psalm or not in the translation. That's why you see the difference between verse 3 or verse 2. Okay? And that happens... Uh, uh, in various translations. But that bottom one, out of the mouth of the infants and sucklings, you have perfected praise because of your enemies. But thou mayest destroy the enemy in the avenger. So it's kind of interesting what's going on here, possibly. So this whole idea, children are the seed, okay? Because it's mentioning this idea of children here and infants. So first off, then I would propose then you know, children are the seed, the foundation of humanity. That is a foundation, and that's a strength, wouldn't you say? The children are the very strength of humanity. 
Without the children, you have no humanity. So that is a foundation, and I would say that's, that's an awesome strength. Generation after generation itself and is, is a form of strength, something worthy to be praised, right? The whole idea of another generation coming in. I think there's a lot just in this phrase to meditate on alone. I'm still going over it a lot. And maybe that's something, you know, I try to promote you guys to do. Meditate on these things over and over again. So it has to be connected with Passover. And why I'm saying that, because this is the time that Messiah is in Jerusalem and what's going on. So it has to connect to Passover, the firstborn, teaching the children, possibly. Elohim visiting his creation. The feasts are a time when the children of Israel can meet with their Elohim. So you can see the importance or how it fits. Again, that's why obedience in upholding the feast are so important. The Shabbat, the weekly sign, we show that we love him. So you can see if we start thinking it, possibly thinking maybe how the Hebrews thinks or how the author wants you to think, because if you didn't celebrate the feast and really got any or didn't know much about the feast, all this you would not know. You wouldn't see the connection between the firstborn and the children and the commandment to make sure you teach your children this over and over again. Okay, and the exchange for the firstborn to live, the Egyptians firstborn died. You, Israel, the firstborn lives, you know, all these play a part. Let alone this is where Messiah is at coming to his father's house a day that the father meets with his children. All right. So some of these words um, like strength, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will prepare him a habitation. My father's God, I will exalt him. Then uh, I have enemies and enemies. Uh, the, the various highlighted words are the ones that, that were in Psalms 8 that were all connected. So I just wanted to give you some, um, some other background to how, where these words are being used and maybe some more of, a, of context as well. Genesis twenty two seventeen. That in blessing I will bless you, and in multiplying I will multiply your seed, which is your children, as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is upon the sea, and uh, as the shore. And thy seed shall possess the gates of your enemies. So clearly we see what an enemy is. Okay, and I think that's important. Exodus 15, thy right hand, Yahuwah, is become glorious in power. Thy right hand, Yahuwah, has dashed to pieces the enemy. And the Exodus 23, 22 is interesting. But if, but if thy shalt indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy unto your enemies and an adversary unto your adversaries. Because we have that word pop up in Psalms 8, this idea of adversaries. 
Deuteronomy 32:43. Rejoice, O nations, with, uh, with his people, for he will avenge the blood of his servants and will render vengeance to his adversaries and will be merciful unto his land and unto his people. I kind of really did handpick these things, but you see the idea of an enemy and an adversary, or at least, um, at least how I want you to see them. Not that there's, not that these words aren't aren't used for different types of adversaries, but with Messiah, I think it's there's a bigger picture of the big adversaries going on. So here's, um, so let's look at. Uh, uh, one more important part in Psalms 8, and this where I believe some of this will start to come together then. Less than Elohim, we talked about that. One thing I did find out, it was actually new to me, and it's always been right in front of me. This term, son of man, is also a title for a king. I did not, and why I say that, is take Psalms 2.6. But I have set my sovereign in Zion, my set-apart mountain. I subscribed for Allah. Yahuwah has said to me, you are my son. Today I have brought you forth. This was what David said. Now, remember how I said? I believe it was for David, but I also believe it was prophetic as well. David was going to become a king. He became a king, and then he was considered a son of Elohim. So all of a sudden now you see this connection, which I think is behind all this, is this idea of a king. Because if you re- we will read it again, but we'll go back and we'll read what the people were saying when Messiah was coming into Jerusalem or at that time. So it's interesting here. And... I even have from First uh, John, the book of John, uh, one forty nine. Remember Nathaniel? Okay, the story of Nathaniel. He was under the tree. All right, uh, and Messiah said something, and he and and when he came to Messiah Yeshua, he answered and said to him right away, Rabbi, you are the son of Elohim, you are the king of Israel. So you see, even Nathaniel connected this idea of son, you know, a son of Elohim with, uh, with this whole idea of being a king as well. So the son of Adam, you know, the son of Elohim. So the king, the king connection is interesting here in... What's going on in Matthew's portion, we see them proclaiming that. Hosanna, son of David, okay? So, more with this less than Elohim and what's going on. It's talking about man and humanity, like I said. In the likeness of Elohim, man has given dominion over the garden, just like in the Psalms saying. The second Adam will conquer all things in the future, and rule over all the works of the Father's hand, including us. So you see the parallel that's going on in Psalms 8 here. I have made him, it says, what is man that I remember him? What is the son of man that you would visit him? And then it starts to me comparing this whole idea. It's talking about Adam, the first Adam, 
All right? But yet, at the same time, we see how much it's talking about Messiah as well. Because eventually, everything, all the works of the Father are under his hand. So that would include us to be under, under him then. Because we've never really been able to do that, have we? Because if we're honest with us as humanity, we had to be saved because we never could do the things he asked us to do from the very beginning to have that inheritance. Even though it was given to us, we really did not live up to that. So, so that's how I understand the promise. Understand that here, I believe, is the pro- first prophecy... Oh, I'm sorry. I read that wrong. So, but it's clear uh, a unique. So it's clear that a unique man will someday do what we did not do, and that goes back uh, that whole prophecy and the promise of of a Messiah, and that's in Genesis three fifteen, where he says, "I will put amenity between." The woman's seed and your seed. And what's it? Then it goes on to say, He shall crush your head and you shall crush his heel. So this child will be born from in Genesis. A child will be born because out of the woman this shall come. And he'll put everything under his feet, put the enemy completely under his feet. So this is going on in the psalm as well. So this is a small portion of what what can be used to understand the quote from Psalms. So let's read it again with more of this background now that we had. So So it says, Bind the... And the blind and the lame ones came to him in the set-apart place, and he healed them. And the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonders which he did, and the children, there, see, it's interesting here. It's, it's recorded as the children crying out in the set-apart place. So it's interesting how, you know, <laughs> even though they were adults, we know it was all just not kids there, the terminology being used as children. So it's like, save us, prosper us. Your promise of the one to come, the king from the line of David. Because they end up saying, son of David. So it's connected with a king here. Messiah makes them... So Messiah makes them who are displeased out to be the enemies here. If we go back and we read the Psalms, Psalms 8, who becomes the enemy? So here we have, here the children crying out, prosperous, send us a king. We need a king. And the Pharisees being not pleased at all or whatever group not being pleased with that. So Messiah, you can one thing for sure when he goes and says, have you not read where out of the mouths of babes, the foundation of strength or the foundation of praise And then it follows up, you've done this because of your enemies. He is clearly making them out to be the enemy. If you go read the context then that we just read in Psalms 8. And then he used the psalm to say 
what a king, that a king has come to Israel. That's what I believe he also was doing by quoting from that particular psalm. Again, you have to, I, again, see, it's just not that one sentence. When he's making a comment, he's going back and having you, because they were crying for a king here. And they were displeased, so he quotes this, and you go back and read Psalm 8, which I'm sure they knew what entailed in it. And it talks about a king. So this king of Israel has come to the world. This then ties right to Psalm 18, 118 that we just read before this, which he also was quoting from. The builders reject the stone that the builders reject. Here's, to me, the same the connection. It's that the coming of the, the, the rejection of, that, of his coming, the rejection of that cornerstone, the cornerstone, the firstborn from above, the son, the lamb, the ransom. Because I'm using those terminologies now because we're at Passover, and this is when this is occurring. And I'm using really Passover for the backdrop of all this, because I think that is how it should be intended. The firstborn from above, the son of the lamb, the ransom, the builders. Now, that's, uh, this is kind of interesting. Oh, it worked. The builders. This idea of builder or to build something. You can see the Hebrew word. You see what I highlighted? The red in it. The red for builder. The foundation of the idea to build or to be a builder, the foundation of that word is ben, which is a son. So you can see to me, oh, it's even interesting in that concept, you know, the stone, the son that the builders rejected because it's the son who builds the house, okay? And who builds the family. So that is also deeply connected to all what's going on. So the seed that builds the house, the family. So now we see the understanding, the connection with Passover, both past and present, or let's say past, the deep past at Exodus and the past here at Messiah and even into the future Passover as well. So, before we go on, I want to get some of your comments and your insights. We got a couple minutes, and I do want to hear from you. Uh, we have Mark in the back, John, after you. Um, so he quotes, Yeshua quotes this in Matthew 21, 16, but he doesn't quote the whole thing. No, he just says, out of the mouths of babes and nurslings, I, he doesn't you talk have about perfected the... praise or have founded strength depending on translation. Perfected praise is the King James, but it doesn't talk about the enemies and all that. Some of what I understood is uh, you don't necessarily have to quote the whole verse because it's sort of you know the rest, but That's, they're not waiting for the, looking on their esword, what is he talking about, right? They know exactly. What, what it's, they know what he's talking about. They know the whole verse. In some ways, that's how I would understand that they, they knew they were the enemies in Psalms, right. in Maybe Psalms he didn't, 8. Maybe he didn't explicitly say that, but he said, let them figure out who, the, who he's talking about mm -hmm. because they should know the verse. 
in which I think that's, uh, maybe I did a poorer explanation of it. Sometimes I do better free, but no, that's what I see here. That one little quote, if we take everything into account, he's made them out the enemies. And Messiah is also talking about how uh, man's going to be, the, be visited as well. Because the visitation always happens because of the feast. The feasts were designed for the times for his people to visit with him in a personal way. And on and on, what's encapsulated here, this son of man, this king that's going to come. He also was maybe saying to them, you're missing it because the king is here. He didn't have to say anything. He just says, go, have you not read? Go read it. That tells you what's going on right now. Mark. So the <clears throat> illustration you had up, um, the banah, I had seen that a few weeks maybe a month or two ago, um, which is it really gives the, the picture of the uh, when a woman is giving birth or there's a birthing, it's something is being built. And like you referenced, a house is being built because the children and those that are uh, the mom and the dad make up that house. So, yeah, it's it's awesome. The, the bana is there's so there's a birthing, there's children, and something is being built or set up. Yes. Thank you, Mark. And thanks, Mark. Because if you really look, um, uh, if, if we're looking at, oh, let me get to it. So out of the mouths of babes and infants, you have founded your strength. So if we just looking at the children as being that strength, that build and are the foundation, which is humanity who is made in the likeness a little less than Elohim. Wow. We, now we, you see what I'm saying? You can start really looking at there's a lot more that I believe is Messiah, and I believe it was purpose why he quoted what he quotes. And you need to, to me, you need to go back and see a, a bigger picture of what, why he said what he did at the times that he said it. So any more comments? I didn't want to take up all the time. I figured there'd be some more hands. No? Board has a call. Oh. If you want to hear what the builders of today say in regard to all this, they just built a new city in Kazakhstan called Astana, and a, one of these people wrote a book praising it. And here's what some, he, some of the things he says about the book he wrote. What are the demonstrable links between Astana and Freemasonry? Does the Pyramid of Peace function as a universal beacon of Freemasonry? And is the House of Ministries a modern reconstruction of King Solomon's Temple? Discover how the most significant buildings in the Kazakhstan capital form the bedrock of a universal tale about the rise of civilization and the peaceful coexistence of the human family. And then one more paragraph. For thousands of years, foundation myths have been fraught with controversy and shrouded in grisly fables about the gods, bloodshed, and parricide, and victories over chaos. But what if a case could be made for a modern foundation myth rooted in the rigorous study of history, archaeology, architecture, and genetic research? What if one city, among all others, held the key to a global foundation myth about the secret destiny of the world? These are the builders that are still rejecting Yeshua. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you, boy. Thank you. 
All right, we have another comment or question. One more, and then we'll close. Sorry, Jerry, you got stuck with the mic. <laughs> well, I had two thoughts about David. When you mentioned the son will build the house, I thought of David wanted to build the house of God, but God told him, no, you can't build it, but your son will build it. Mm-hmm. And the other thing about David, I was thinking uh, uh, when the Pharisees were not pleased with Yahushua, it made me think of when David brought the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. And it says he, he danced with all his might before the Lord. And his, his wife, Michal, saw him and says she hated him in her heart. Yeah. She, now, I... Yeah, no, she was looking from the window. Oh, yeah. She uh, thought it was Chloe disgusting. just reminded me that he, he was, uh, what's that word, Jerry? Uh, the serpent? Nahash? Nakash? Nakash? He was naked. Oh. <laughs> well, I don't think he was naked, but he was stripped down. Yeah, in his underwear, maybe, or something. <laughs> yeah. But so uh, we'll close here. Um, and again, I'd like to take a closer look at the Passover from all, all four Gospels because there's quotes that the Messiah uses in various books. And I just I think we have to bring them all together. And my hope is we'll end up with a better understanding of Messiah's interaction with the people and the events and when they occurred and hopefully see deeper into the Passover as well and who he is. So save us. O son of David, save us. So let me close in prayer. Father Yehovah, we give you thanks for all that you do. Father, we thank you for your words and your guidance, your, your mercy that you show each and every one of us. Father, we thank you that your words became flesh and he has dwelt among us. We trust in whom you sent, Father, and that's your son, Yahushua, who we see as our Messiah and our King, the very promise that you had promised us. We thank you again. Amen. Shabbat Shalom, everyone, and those online uh, will come back in about 20, 30 minutes for our main service. So thank you for your time.